All right, thank you so much, John and Eric. And at this time, we're going to go ahead and um, go on to our message for this evening. And uh, so if you would, stand with me as we and turn to Psalm uh, 78. Psalm 78. It's way over there. No. And uh, look at verse number uh, 40, if you would. And we'll read uh, verses 40 through 43. Psalm 78, verse number 40. And read along with me. How oft did they provoke Him in the wilderness and grieve Him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. How He had wrought His signs in Egypt and His wonders in the field of Zoan. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And then you guys can be seated. Father, we thank You. Again, just uh, as we remember the Lord's Supper, just what it costs for our salvation. Father, I just ask that You would meet with us uh, as we look at Your Word, Lord, as we hear Your Word preached, God, that You would stir our hearts. Lord, as, um, I just pray, God, that tonight um, we'll go away challenged. Uh, Lord, maybe changed, as, as Your Word should do whenever we hear it preached. And Father, I just ask that You would just anoint this time that we have or the next uh, few moments here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. This evening, I want to um, preach a message that I have entitled, Beware Limiting God in Your Life. Beware Limiting God in Your Life. See, all of us here desire to, for God to work in our lives, don't we? Or at least we should. I mean, we should want God to do something in our life. We, we should want God to be a part of our life. We should want God to... Uh, to make an impact of our life. I mean, we enjoy His blessings and all the good things that He has given to us. But let us also be reminded that God is omnipotent, meaning that He is all-powerful. Yet God chooses to limit Himself and what He does in our life. Meaning, yes, though He has all this power and He can do anything, yet He still allows us... I mean, think about it. The Almighty Creator, who designed the universe, everything, would allow Himself, and He and He limits Himself about what He does in our life, depending upon what we do. And um, it's really interesting, as we're going to look at that this evening. And I want to look at a couple of ways of how we can limit God in our life. Uh, the first one that I want to to deal with this this evening is when we complain and murmur. When we complain and murmur, look at verse number thirty-five. Uh, in this portion of Scripture. It says here, And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter Him with their mouth, and they lied unto Him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. But He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time 
turned he his anger away and did not stir up all of his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day that he delivered them from the enemy, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. See, we all know what it is to complain, because we've all done it. We've all complained about something now and again. But when we complain, especially about things in our life that where God is, is, is doing some things, it can actually limit God from doing what He wants to do with you. In our portion of Scripture that we're reading through this, this evening, Asaph is reminding uh, the children of Israel about what had transpired in the wilderness after the Exodus. God had great mercy upon them and took care of them. I mean, the children of Israel had no lack for clothing. They had shelter. They had protection. God was their protection. And they had food. They were, ta- they were very well taken care of all throughout the time of the wilderness. And yet, even though God was taking care of them, they were constantly complaining and murmuring against God, Moses, and Aaron. Uh, as you look through Scripture, you see several times through Exodus and Numbers how they complained and complained and complained. Uh, complaining is something that displeases God. Often we complain when we are discontent with how God is allowing us to be treated and that we feel that God could do a better job than what He's doing. Isn't that the truth of it? You know, sometimes we complain and we're just not content with how God's working in our life. And so we complain about it. But here's the thing that's, that is very dangerous, especially is that our complaining can limit God in someone else's life. When we complain about how bad we think our life is to others, and yet we claim to be a child of God, it can discourage those who, who we complain to from trusting God themselves. Why trust in your God, who you say is treating you unfairly and allowing you to be miserable? Why would they get saved then? If all they hear is complaining and that God's unfair, that God's not good, that God can do a better job, um, why would they want to get saved then? You know, if, if your God isn't a good God, if your God can't take care of them. I believe sometimes the reason that we don't see our family and friends getting saved is because they never hear anything good that God does for us. We tend more to gripe and complain than to praise God. Sadly, that's the truth in a lot of uh, a lot of days that we have. You know, we don't praise God enough. We, we're always quick to complain, whether it's the weather or just just things that are going on. But can you imagine what difference could possibly be made if we praise God more around people than complained? We don't know what God could do through that. And our complaining usually comes from an ungrateful heart. That is not right with God. Look at verse number 37 again. It says, For their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. The reason why they were complaining is because, look, in their heart of hearts, their hearts had distanced themselves from having a close walk with their, with, with their Lord God. 
And you know what? Oftentimes when we start complaining, it's probably one times when we haven't really spent maybe a lot of time in, in, in God's Word or we really kind of, um, maybe are just not as close of a walk with the Lord as we should. We're, we're more quicker to complain about things, aren't we? You know, because, you know, it's just how the flesh is. Our flesh reacts by complaining. And often comes out of, look, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If the things that you say about and you're complaining about, they're already in your heart. And they're just coming out. So how can we help ourselves to not complain? That's a good question. And there's three three ways I think that'll help. There's obviously more, but there's three three ways I think it will be a good help to you and I. The first one is to remember that we are not owed anything in this world. We're not owed anything. Turn with me if you would to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We live in a generation and a society even where people believe that they are owed um, by the government, that you know everything should be free, that they should just be taken care of. And look, none of us are owed anything. The things that you have has been by God's grace and God's blessing to you. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6. Paul writes here to Timothy, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Most of us in this room probably have food. You've had a good meal today. You maybe have had breakfast. Maybe you had a good lunch. You know, maybe you're going to go have a nice dinner or, or maybe have a, a meal after church. Um, you know, you, you've, you've been pretty well taken care of this week. You know, we, we've all got clothing. You know, uh, God has taken very well care of us. And so no, having those basic needs supply, you say, look, be content. God has, has taken care of you. Because look, we've brought nothing into this world and we can't take it with us. And so, um, remember that we're, no, we're not owed anything in this world. That's the first way. Secondly, by being thankful for the things that you do have. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. By being thankful for the things that you do have. In verse number 5. Hebrews 13, verse number 5. says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. See, the, the things that you have in your life, it's because God gave them to you. And so... If God were to take all that away, you'd at least still have God as well. And that's the greatest thing to be thankful for. I mean, that should be one of the greatest reasons why we shouldn't complain, because we have Almighty God, who is our Father, 
who will take care of us, who will be there for us every step of the way. He does not abandon his children, and he's there for us no matter what trial, no matter what temptation, what battle you and I come across in our life. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. And that is a great truth that we can apply to our lives and say, look, you know what? At least I don't have it as bad as somebody else. God has been very good to us. And we need to be thankful for the things that we do have. Because, look, they can be all taken away at a moment's notice. So be thankful for what you do have. Rather than complaining and saying, oh, well, I don't have this. Well, I wish I had that. I, you know, I, Look, we, be, be, be careful of that. And lastly, remember that God is in control and that He knows all of your needs. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. These are just three uh, quick things to kind of uh, help us as we try to, to combat this thing with complaining. Because good, this complaining thing is something that our flesh loves to do. And so as we, before we start to allow our tongue to speak the things that would come out of our mouth that would be complaining, Maybe just say, you know what, I need to think about some of these things first. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. Paul is writing to the Philippians, says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye uh, were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I, res- I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, or I am, therewith to be content. Meaning, whatever circumstance, is what state means, whatever circumstance I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to be, I know how to have little and how to have much. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And verse number 13 is probably one of the greatest verses that Paul writes. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This is something that Paul learned while serving God. Uh, if you look here, um, let's see here. Verse number 11 says, "For not that I speak in respect of want, but he says, for I have learned. This is something he had to learn. He had to learn how to trust God. You know, when after he got saved on the, on the road uh, to Damascus, he had to start learning how to trust God. Everybody wanted to kill him, first of all. <laughs> and then as he's going around preaching and and, and, and shipwrecks and people whipping him and beating him and stoning him and all this, he had to learn how to trust God. Because he didn't always have, you know, a bank account where he can go to an ATM and click out whatever he needed. Um, he had to live by faith. And so he had to learn how to be content. He had to learn to just trust God and say, Lord, if this is what you want in my life, thank you. I'll, 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 I'll accept it. And this is something that all of us have to learn as we serve God. As we begin to, as we live our lives as a born again Christian. Now, the first thing was is when we complain and, learn, and, and murmur. That's how we start beginning limiting God. But the second way of limiting God this evening is when we allow unbelief to overtake our heart. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Another way that we can limit God from working in your life is when we start to allow unbelief to overtake our heart. Look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. 
It says here, and this talk about Jesus, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, uh, that with such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages teaching. I believe here Jesus went to see his family and brethren in Nazareth shortly after he began his public ministry. But when Jesus arrived and while he was there, he did what he always did. He went to the synagogues and he taught in the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, Luke also gives another detailed account that Jesus actually reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And this is uh, a little bit about what happens in Luke's account. In uh, verse number 17 through 21, he says here, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he, o- he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't understand it. They took him by all by surprise. Because this is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the anointed one. And so, when, if you look at verse number two, back here in Mark chapter six, that's why when the Sabbath day was, when he began to teach in the synagogue, this is what he was teaching. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where, from whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is he not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were, and it says here, and they were offended at him. Insomuch that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to push him off a cliff. See, the people allowed their familiarity with Jesus to blind them from the truth of who he is. They thought that he was just one of them and no one special. They didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. I truly believe Jesus desired to help those that he grew up with, that he cared about. And I'm sure they had needs for God to answer and to work in. But because of their unbelief, Jesus did not do them. Now, he did do some healings, as Mark says, but he, but he didn't do anything major, like you read about in Capernaum and Jerusalem. Because sadly, their unbelief caused Jesus to be surprised and amazed. Can I ask you this evening, how often does God want to do something great in our life? But because of our lack of faith in what He can do and wants to do, we stop God from doing it. 
Often it is through prayer that our needs are expressed to God and the desires of our heart poured out to Him. But unbelief actually hinders our prayer as well and can stop God from acting on them. James 1, 6-8 says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When you allow that unbelief, when you start, when you pray and say, Lord, you know, I want so and so saved, then you don't believe that God can actually do it? You're stopping it from happening. So how can we overcome this unbelief taking root in our heart and stopping God from acting in our life? Begin to trust God in your life. Step out in faith and rely upon Him to take care of the needs in your life. God wants you sometimes, even sometimes just taking baby steps before you take leaps. Not everybody can take a leap out the boat like Peter did. Even then, he didn't know what he was doing. He trusted God, but as soon as he allowed the circumstances around him with a storm, and he saw the waves and the the tumultuous uh, wind and everything that's going on, he took his eyes off the Lord, and he began to sink, didn't he? And so, sometimes God just wants you just to take that one little step and say, look, just trust me. Uh, whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggle, you're, you're, the burden that you have, give it to God. Let Him take control of the situation. Trust it to Him. Let Him work it out. And then as you begin to trust Him, you'll, you'll start to say, you know what? God is taking care of me. I'm going to trust Him a little bit more. I trust Him a little bit more. That's what living by faith is about. And it's not just for missionaries to do that. Every Christian should live by faith. Every one of us needs to live by faith. Yielding and saying, Lord, I don't understand the situation maybe that you're allowing to come into my life right now, but I'm going to keep on stepping. I'm going to keep on following you, Lord. And I'm going to let you direct my paths. I'll let you direct my steps and let you have control of my life. Sometimes that's hard because, look, we want to have control on things. We want to take care of the situation. We want to We want to make sure everything is is according to our plans. And when they're not, that's when when we really start to see faith. Because look, God does not work the ways that we work. I mean, in our minds, we can have, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. You know, we have our whole life, X, Y, Z, down to the dot. But God doesn't work that way. And oftentimes, those plans don't happen. At least not the way that we think they are going to happen. That's when you have to trust God and say, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm letting you have the reins. I'm letting you have the control. That's how we keep building faith. That's how we keep growing in our walk with God. We keep growing in in our trust and our relationship with God. As as we read Scripture, as we we get um, uh, spend that time with God, He directs our steps. And as you as you learn you learn how to trust him, you're not so uh, used to clinging on to everything and saying, you know what, I got to make this happen. Because oftentimes when we say, you know what, I'm making this happen no matter what, God says, fine, 
That's what you want to do. But I've got something better for you if you would just trust me. And oftentimes we lose out on that good thing, the better thing. Trusting God is the best thing that you can do with your life. It's the hardest thing, but it's the best thing. And as you take those daily steps sometimes of just yielding to the Holy Spirit, yielding and stepping out in that trust, in that faith, you'd be surprised at where God directs you and the great things that God allows to do in your life. And so that's how we can help overcome unbelief in our life. Now, I just want to kind of wrap things up real quick with these two thoughts. It was never God's original plan for the children of Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That was not His original plan. He was prepared to take them right there after giving them the law and building the tabernacle. I mean, they were right on the border at, at Kadesh Barnea. They were right there. Uh, Moses had sent the, the um, spies into Canaan, and they were there for 40 days. And when they came back out, I mean, they were carrying a, you know, a cluster of grapes that they had to bear between two men. Showing that the, the providence of God was, was there. But the ten spies turned the hearts of the people against God, against Moses and Aaron, and they no longer believed that they could go into the promised land. And so they rebelled against God. that they started complaining, saying, we can't do this. And then complain, complaining matched and combined with unbelief turned the whole situation bad. Turned it really bad. They no longer believed they'd go to the promised land, and so they rebelled against God. And as judgment, God told them that they would wander for 40 years for each day that they were in Canaan. Yet through all of this time, and as we read in Psalm Chapter 78, even though they complained and they rebelled and they and God had to, to judge them at times and they complained and, and they just they they never had a walk with God that that kept them going. But even through all that time, God never abandoned them. He went with them every step of the way for the 40 years. He didn't say, Moses, see you later. I'm going to I'm staying here at Kadesh Barnea. When you're done with the 40 years, I'll, I'll meet you back here, and then we'll pick up again. He didn't do that. He was with them every step of the way. For the 40 years that they wandered, He still guided them by the pillar of fire and by the pillar of cloud. He protected them from their enemies. He met all their needs. He provided manna for them every single day. He took care of their clothing. They never had to worry about their clothing um, or their shoes, and all that kind of stuff. They never had to worry about any of this stuff. God took care of them every step of the way. He took care of them over and over, even though they complained and were faithless at times. And so we must be careful about limiting God's work in our lives. Our complaining heart and unbelief can stop God from acting. So how can we get victory over our complaining? By trying those three simple things. Remembering that we're not owed anything in this world by being thankful for the things that we do have and to remember that God is in control and that He knows all of our needs. So how can we grow in our faith in the Lord? We need to start by trusting God in our life now, daily. Step out in faith and rely upon Him to take care of the needs in your life. Not every step has to be a leap, but yield to God's direction that He gives 
you through the Holy Spirit and His Word. I believe that will help you and help help God to keep working in your life and not to and allow God to do something great with you, you know? Um, and have that joy and have that peace that God gives for a Christian who is born again, who is yielded to the Holy Spirit's leading in their life. And so we're going to go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. And we'll sing a hymn here in just a few minutes. Father, we do thank you again that you are so gracious. Lord, sometimes we complain so much. We murmur so much. You know, we're never happy. We're not happy about the weather. We're not happy about our government. We're not happy about anything that goes on in our life. Yet, God, you allow it. You're allowing it. You're, don't, you're, you've ordained it. And, um, Lord, help us to not grumble so much, to complain so much, but instead to be thankful, to be content. Lord, just to rejoice in that, God, you are our, our God, our Savior, that you take care of our needs, that you're there. In a moment's uh, notice, whenever we, we bow our head and, Lord, just want to talk to you. I thank you, Lord, that you've never abandoned us. You've never forsaken us. Even though sometimes we may have walked our own way. But yet, God, you're there for us. I thank you for that. And Lord, help us to with our unbelief. Sometimes, Lord, we want to, to, to do some great things in our own power. And yet, God, that's not what you want for our life. Lord, help us to, to yield and to trust and, and let you have the reins, Lord, of every single day. And that way, as we walk with you and, and uh, learn to trust you and learn to let you guide our steps, that you give us a better life than what we can ever imagine. Father, we just thank you so much again that you are so good to us. We don't deserve any of it. And yet, God, you have blessed us, you loved us, and you've bought us. And I thank you for that, Lord, as we learn, as we remember tonight. Father, we do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.